I will lose control and say things that I don't want to say, or I will do things that I don't want to do. What if I do things I don't want to do? Um, that doesn't happen. I'm in a movie and I get up in the middle and I run out because I'm screaming and crying. It's the thoughts triggered by the threat response that make it feel real. It will overwhelm my ability to cope and therefore I will become hysterical. The part of I will lose control is it will never end. Because there must be a reason why you're feeling this way. Ah, that's it. What if you're going crazy? I'm terrified. My body is doing all these things. These thoughts are racing in my head. Now I have to make meaning of that since I can't find an obvious meaning. And I'll interpret it as death, insanity, slipping away, losing control, whatever. Um, we start behaving in a just-in-case way, which keeps us in the cycle. Welcome to Disordered. This is episode 35, entitled Anxiety and the Fear of Losing Control. I am Drew Linsalata, a grad student in clinical mental health counseling, getting ever closer to being a licensed therapist in New York State in the US of A. I'm an author, a podcaster, and an educator on the topic of anxiety disorders. I'm doing a really long intro for myself. It's super annoying while Josh waits. And uh, I'm a former sufferer of anxiety and depression for many, many years. And I'm Josh Fletcher, also known as Anxiety Josh uh, on social media. I'm a psychotherapist based in Manchester in the UK, author and previous sufferer. Welcome, dude. Today we're talking about fear of losing control, probably like a core fear. Yeah, it's a big one. Um, we were going through our inboxes today and listening to the wonderful voice notes, uh, or the did it anyways, the questions, mm. and going through as many emails uh, as we can. Uh, we really appreciate you sending them in. Um, so if you do want to send something in, just go on disordered.fm. Uh, we came across one, though, uh, this, uh, this morning that uh, we thought we'd focus today's topic on and it's a it's a common one and it's something that i can relate to personally um let's hear what this person has to say yeah, let's do it oh hey guys so i've been listening to the podcast and really really enjoy everything you guys do for the community and everybody that listens it's such a great help um one of the things that i really have been struggling with on my recovery is the constant repetitive obsessing over a scary thought of possible self-harm or hurting myself or doing things that um, I'm going to lose control or, or things that I can't control. And it happens all the time, daily, and I keep trying to, you know, not fight but accept these thoughts and go through it, but it just gets so scary and overwhelming. And I'm kind of hoping you guys can maybe talk a bit more about willfully accepting those thoughts even as scary as they are i have no intent on acting on them they were suggested you know someone cared and reached out and once a guy starts thinking about it it kind of took over for me so anything you could do to help and uh, give a bit of guidance i greatly appreciate it and keep up the good work guys thank you all right what do you think it's a good question good question ties into today's topic fear of losing control um Fear of losing control is something that's at the core of most anxiety disorders. Um, this sounds like a lot like um, a theme of, of OCD. I'm not diagnosing you, but one of the common themes of OCD is something called harm OCD or self-harm OCD. Yeah. A lot different to um, the want to hurt oneself as a result of severe and prolonged depression. Uh, it usually presents as, what if I do that? What if I get to a point where I get to this situation where I harm myself? Or what if I just lose control and harm myself? Um, and so 
Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, it's a common th um, theme of OCD that uh, usually propped up by compulsions like avoiding things, avoiding sharp objects, avoiding doing anything where you may lose control and, and do that. Yep. But ultimately, it's the thoughts triggered by the threat response that make it feel real. Um, we start behaving in a just-in-case way, which keeps us in the cycle. Yeah, that's one of those fears, uh, whether it's particularly a self-harm theme or, or not, that leads you to not want to be alone. You know, we did a monophobia episode not too long ago. And for me, the expression of that was that was part of the monophobia for me. Like if I do get to the point where I lose control and might do something that I absolutely do not want to do, but I'll be so anxious and beside myself that I will snap and, and, and lose control. I needed somebody around who would save me from that. So I think that loss of control is a big driver of that. I'm afraid to be alone thing. Can be, but on the flip side, also people with, with that uh, will want to be alone because they feel that deep down there's a part of them that, that's dangerous in some way. Yes. What if this not point not not one percent thing is true, and I can't be around friends and loved ones, mm -hmm. friends and loved ones. So, uh, as a compulsive safety behavior, they may be like, "No, I need to stay away." Um, I know there was, I know someone from many years ago um, who actually ended up moving out of their family home because they used to struggle with harm OCD. Yeah, afraid um, to be And it started by t you know removing all the, the the sharp objects and then. It got to the point where you know even like tape and rope from the garage was got was 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 binned, yep. uh, and to the point where actually no, I'm I feel like I'm a danger, and also this person was not a danger. They were struggling with intrusive thoughts mm -hmm. uh, and the fear of losing control. Um, so it's important to note that no matter what your anxiety disorder is or how it presents, fear of losing control is usually at the core of a lot of of presentations. Um, how does it present for people with panic and agoraphobia? Well, I mean, I think to, along those lines, you know, I was talking about it could drive the, I don't want to be alone because I might be, I get so beside myself, I lose control and need help. But the flip side of that is I'm afraid I'm going to make a scene or embarrass myself or make a fool of myself. So I want to be alone because if I lose control and I start screaming and throw myself on the floor and I can't stop, I don't want anybody to see that because... That would be embarrassing or shameful, and I don't want to do that. Um, so I think it it shows itself in the the sub themes of that. We talked about the harm theme that comes along with OCD is I will lose control and say things that I don't want to say, or I will do things that I don't want to do that will be looked upon as shameful or embarrassing or wrong, uh, or I will run out of a place that I don't want to run out of, and it would be really embarrassing and disruptive if I got up in the middle of church is a common one, or I'm at the theater, I'm in a movie and I get up in the middle and I run out because I'm screaming and crying, that would be horrible. Uh, there's so many ways that lose control is interpreted. What if I lose control? Yeah, and I think straight out from, from the bat there, you, you said, you know, I, I might, what if I do things I don't want to do? Yeah. Um, that doesn't happen. It's that always becomes that I want to do yeah, this. Yeah, always it, it becomes conflated with what if I feel things I don't want to feel? Yeah. Well, yeah, you're going to feel things you don't want to feel. But does that translate to what if I do things I don't want to do? Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Actually, you always have agency in your choices when it comes to anxiety and panic. Um, so don't let the very loud, intrusive thoughts convince you, oh, you're going to lose control. 
you know, you're going to do something silly. You're going to be inconsolable and have to be restrained by 50 people. Mm -hmm. Um, that doesn't, um, apply because you don't do the things you don't want to do. You actually make that choice to do that. albeit under duress. Yeah. But you, you still make those choices. You're not one of the biggest fears I, I hear is, and this applied to me was like, I'd visualize how I was. My anticipatory anxiety would visualize how I was in a situation. Mm. I suddenly become a fly on the wall. And then I'm just witnessing me do things that I'm choosing not to do because the anxiety's got so much and the thoughts have become felt so real that I just, you know, running around, windmilling, beating people up, screaming, mm. wiping feces on the wall, being dragged away. Uh, no, that just doesn't happen. That's just it, Wednesday morning and you're off. <laughs> That's that's eating out at the local uh yeah that's why Josh uh, the is local uh, carvery near me though. Have you ever gone to a car do you have carveries near where you are? I guess we would call them like steakhouses here. Uh kind yeah, we have steakhouses here, but the Sunday roast is a big thing here. Oh um yeah. and there's place restaurants where you can go for a carvery where you go out with your plate and you get like three different meats and then you roast vegetables and sprouts and gravy and sauce and all that stuff. And and the aim is to get as much on your plate as possible to maximize the, sure. the money's worth. And you've had about ten weeks worth of food <laughs> in like one sitting, and you sat and you can't move. But yeah. in these places on a Sunday, there's like screaming, there's plates flying, children crying, someone's giving birth, someone's going. It's absolute chaos. Uh, yeah, that's a segue. But even in that environment, you're not going to lose control. Yeah, I, it's that. We always come back to that whole idea that like I'm incapable of coping. It will overwhelm my ability to cope and therefore I will become hysterical or I will become inconsolable. Uh, part of I will lose control is it will never end, I yes. think is a, is a bit of a manifestation of it. I will lose control. I won't be able to bring myself back ever and I'll be in this state, if not permanently, for a very, very long time, which Absolutely. would seem terrifying, but- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, we go back to the paradox too. That of course, the most, the more you try to hang on, the longer you will perpetuate that. At least in an undulating state, you know, a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's possible to go back to being on the hamster wheel, mm -hmm. but again, you always have agency in that. Oh, I'm back to square one. Well, not really. You can't unlearn everything you've learned, but you're back on the hamster wheel. Yep. But that's not the same as going back to that horrendous dark place because. What makes that horrendous dark place possible is you didn't know what was happening. You had no idea. You had, you had no metacognitive awareness. You had no psychoeducation. You had no evidence that you can come out of these anxious episodes. Whereas this time you can. You've got all the, that evidence that your brain does remember. Yeah. You have practice. You have a skill set that you didn't have before. Maybe you weren't even aware that those were skills that you could use. Um, maybe you didn't have a community around you that was showing you their successes. So there's a ton of reasons why you, you can't always, you can, there is no, just, I lose control and go back to the beginning again. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, tie, often ties into dementophobia, which mm -hmm. is the fear of going crazy. Do you ever have that? I never, you know, it, sometimes it felt like that could happen, but that was never a common theme for me. Uh, the fear of the psychotic break or the permanent. Really? It was yeah. my like biggest one. Yeah, that's top top two death and insanity, I think, for sure. Yeah, but because right. the threat response, the amygdala, it would often say, like, where's the threat? Where's the threat? Is it there? No, is it there? No. And around me is safe. My environment's safe. Mm. So then it just suggests with alongside with my cognitive brain, I don't know, what if what if it's you? What if the problem's you? Yeah. 
what if there's something horrendous you know that's kind of erupting under the surface because there must be a reason why you're feeling this way ah that's it what if you're going crazy that's, oh, yes, that sir. feels real because all these symptoms are weird uh and these thoughts are loud and convincing oh well yeah that's it and my brain hooked on that for years yeah I, for me i think it wasn't so much the like the definition that we most might all agree on a, like insanity of some kind or going crazy but the dpdr depersonalization that derealized thing that dissociated feeling to me felt like i was going to lose control and slip out of i don't know even know what i know we've talked about this before. i was just going to disintegrate or slip away and that was a control thing too i have to hang on i have to hang on and mm. i think you're right it's interesting because we try to make meaning from the state that we are in i'm i'm terrified my body is doing all these things these thoughts are racing in my head now i have to make meaning of that since i can't find an obvious meaning and i'll interpret it as death insanity slipping away losing control whatever absolutely making yeah. meaning out of something it is the basis of like a lot of act acceptance and commitment therapy that whole relational frame th theory thing where it's like the worst thing that ever happened to us as a species was language because then we start to we our brains turn on themselves we try to make meaning where there's no meaning to be had we overuse that skill yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. um oh i love that well let's do one on We'll do one on relational frame and, and, and act. We'll yeah. lose all of our listeners in one episode. It's going to be great. <laughs> Why? No, that, that's interesting. It's, 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 it is very, yeah. super interesting to me. Clearly, you too. But we can know. make it interesting. We'll put in some sound effects and some silly <laughs> things. Yeah. You know, because that's that's ultimately why people are tuning in um, is to I hear can, poor poor level. Yeah, <laughs> really bad production and like horrible <laughs> juvenile jokes. That's why they do it. It, yeah, it is a thing because that meaning making, I think, is that is a core part of a lot of this, especially for folks that are excessive ruminators or they're dealing with that sort of thing. I might lose control. So uh, we can interpret that also as like I ruminate to maintain control. Mm. So that's another way to look at the loss of control fear. Yeah, and yeah. when you look at every subtype of OCD, mm -hmm. the fear often comes first, preceded by the thought. And because that lens of threat and intensity and everything feels doubtful, because that lens is already there, yeah. that thought suddenly appears more real. Yet you ask anyone with OCD who's had a theme that's moved on to something else. I always ask them, I say, you know, that old theme used to have that yeah. you spent months and months and months ruminating and obsessing over. What does it feel like when you have that thought now? Well, I've not really thought about it. Well, bring it up now. And they're like, yeah, I don't really feel anything because the threat response has moved on. Mm -hmm. So going back to making meaning out of things, well, this must be real because my threat response suggests it's real and I'm full of doubt and it feels real. Yeah. No, not necessarily, not necessarily. Thoughts are just thoughts, but also this thought is particularly loud because the anxious response is trying to persuade you that, hey, you know, maybe there is some danger here. I think that that same rule applies or the same concept applies, you know, certainly in OCD and health anxiety is a related condition for sure. But even for people with panic disorder, agoraphobia, that sort of stuff, the scariest anxiety symptom is the one that you care about the most today. So, you know, and for me, that was so like, oh, I was super fixated on my heart for a long, long time. Then it became my breathing. Then it became dizziness. And I'm like, oh, yeah, remember when you were so afraid of your heart? And then it was back around in my heart again. So most mm. people, when I'll, they'll be like, 
you know, what's the scariest symptom for you? Oh, it's my heart. Yeah, but what was the scariest symptom two months ago? Oh, that's right. It was it was my visual disturbance. And they realized yeah. like, oh, my my scariest symptom rolls through different themes and changes over time. Yeah. It's almost like your brain will refuses to accept. Like, okay, reality tells me that my heart is okay. It's not a heart attack. So I better find some other interpretation. If it's not that, it must be something else. I'm suffocating. Let's go with that one. It says Drew's yeah. amygdala. Yeah. Let's go with that one first. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had one actually the other day. I was last couple of nights actually lying in bed and mm. it's an OCD trait, but like I'm just aware of my heartbeat. I don't think it's going to stop. Yeah. I just hate just up, just up like fixating on it until I compassionately stepped in and went, You do realize that you are fixating on this now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The same heartbeat that's been there since you fell out of your mother's womb. Uh, it's the same thing. You know, now we can go down a ruminative hole here or we can take our attention external or just allow your brain to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, great. And then I fell asleep and I was like, yeah. Whereas years ago, that would have been like, oh my God. Yeah. What if this becomes a thing? That's up all night or fixated for days, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that again, that willful tolerance of nah, let, let it be there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've often had the fear of losing control, uh, doing public speaking, being in a place where behind the wheels a big one, isn't it? It's oh, most, absolutely. It's, it's one of the biggest fears that drives, uh, that drives driving anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Because it seems practical in the driving sense. Like that fear seems entirely justified. But if, And if I lose control, if I lose control in my living room, uh, you know, yeah, it, it would be bad. But if I lose control behind the wheel of a 4,000 pound machine that's doing 70 miles an hour, I'm not only going to hurt me, the people in the car, but people around me. So that fear will argue on behalf of itself all day. We know we hear it every day. Oh, days. yeah. The stakes are high. Uh, Very yeah, high. but uh, the amount of clients that I'd like, yeah, but I can't control my arms. I can't control my legs. Right. It's not safe. I'm like, okay, show me. You know, and you see them behind the cars. You are, you are more in control than you think. Yeah. yeah. It feels like you're not in control, yep. but actually you're very hyper alert. And you're probably a lot safer driving than the person who's got up at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., doesn't care, half asleep, daydreaming. No, you're, you're, the, you're a meerkat behind the wheel. You're looking out for dangers and being cautious. You're actually probably safer to drive. Those high stakes uh, for me that was, I can't, not only I can't be alone, I can't be alone with my kids. My kids were small at the time when I was struggling the most. And the scariest thing was being alone. Scarier than that was being alone with them. Because what if I, what if I suddenly come to the realization that I don't actually love them or even know them and then yeah. I might hurt them and like, Oh, talk yeah, about high stakes. That's a common one. Is very, it? Yeah. Uh, what if I do that? Or what if I'm giving them my anxiety? What if I am th through, uh, you know, by being anxious around them, yeah. what if they're getting ill too? Yeah. You know, I, that's the one I always say. I was like, no, they're not. You're all right. If anything, you can, of, you can model to them like, yeah, I'm anxious. That's okay. Yeah. I think it's one of yeah. the reasons why people try to hide their anxiety from their kids or even the people that they care about because I can't let people see me out of control. Again, it's the out of control thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk for a second about the, because I know, and if you've listened to this podcast and you've answered, asked this question of 70,000 people and heard the answer 70,000 times, let's let this be your 70,000 and first and last time, maybe, if you can help it. The path from super high anxiety to I will get so anxious, it will break my brain. 
So the loss of control is like, it will literally break me and drive me into a state of permanent mental illness or incapacitation or insanity. People are convinced often, even though they'll, they'll hear us say that doesn't happen. Okay, cool. And then two hours later, they're Googling it again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a path? Is there, is that a path that, that like no. in clinical Does, work? I, no. I mean, I suppose it's possible, but not from a panic attack. I suppose if you're subjected to some like acute horrendous trauma right and you have a genetic predisposition then yeah there's a very tiny possibility but having a panic attack when you're sat on the bus that gets that will get to the point that where you can't no that just does not happen yeah um you know i'm, I'm talking you know you oh, opening scene to gladiator kind of stuff where you're like Oh my God, you know, I have nothing that left, man. but revenge, you know, uh, it's, uh, like, it's like, yeah, exactly. Um, no. And even then you, you don't realize how much you can actually tolerate. I just put that as a disclaimer, like, you know, is it theoretically possible? Yes. Is it possible just from having a panic attack? Cause you're trying to walk around the supermarket. No, yeah. it doesn't work like that at all. Um, if anything, you've been dealing with so much stress or whatever it does not get to that point yeah it takes a lot to break like a human a lot it and does. this doesn't even get anywhere close yeah it's not even close and interesting uh -huh. people will look for that then that confirmation bias kicks in and they're pounding away at google furiously looking at the internet and unfortunately nobody posts stories about how they didn't lose control you only hear the stories of the person who was literally in that extreme, you know, that comes out of maybe World War One, they used to call it shell shock back then, such extreme duress and an extreme crisis situation that did not resolve that. Yes, they, they had some sort of incapacitation that may have lasted a while. But yeah. no, no one ever posts, I had a panic attack and, and I didn't go crazy. They only post I had a panic attack, and I was afraid I was going to go crazy. So that fear of control, and you look for confirmation, you're never going to get it because of the, the negative reporting bias. Yeah, I can hear people's brains already now. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, but but yeah. what? Surely there's a limit to the amount of panic attacks you can have. Right. Surely there's a. I've been anxious for so long that maybe I'm at the precipice and that my jug is about to overflow, and that's the point where I'm going to lose control. No, if anything, I'd flip down its head. Yeah. You've had all this time to practice, and actually, you've been kind of desensitized to it slightly. If anything, yeah. you're going the other way. Yes, it's cyclical and repetitive and annoying. But no, you, you've actually countlessly told the brain, I can experience high amounts of anxiety and not lose control. The only thing that stays there is the amygdala and the, and the brain going, yeah, but what if? You well, what it, yeah. Because it's looking for that threat and combining with that meaning-making capability that can go awry on us. Like, well, reality, and I, I've talked in you know, my old podcast about that, the refusal to accept the lesson that reality shows you, panic attack after panic attack, and I come out the other side. But instead of interpreting it as reality is showing me that it can't hurt me, I will try to find meaning and a threat because my brain needs to find a threat and looking at my brain as like a piece of metal. If I keep bending it again and again and again, it'll, it'll fatigue and then sooner or later I can break it. But that's mm. but reality is literally showing you that that is not what's happening. You've been re resilient the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. But and actually, I want to look at the negative. And you're not a piece of metal either. You're a no. piece of spaghetti. Yeah designed to be to do that to be you're malleable extremely malleable incredible like the most amazingly engineered bags of meat ever like i mean maybe somewhere else in the universe but like if that's isn't, what that, on your, isn't that on your dating profile 
<laughs> if I ever get on a dating site, that's exactly an amazing day. Meet the I'm most doing. amazingly engineered <laughs> bag of meat. <laughs> we'll see what if I get the right swipes or left, whichever one's a good one. It's a good experiment. There's a PhD dissertation right there. Yeah. Oh, I like that. What, what a great sentence. Let's talk, uh, about, can we talk about choice for a second. Also, yeah. I think it's, there's that that thing where like, I don't have, I've had one person who insisted for quite a long time because of the driving anxiety, the fear of losing control, that the fact that when he would get afraid, he would slam on the brakes, do 30 miles an hour on the motorway and has been, you know, reprimanded by law enforcement. Like this is not safe. You can't do 30 miles an hour on the motorway, on the highway. Like this is not okay. And his assertion was, see, that's, I can't, con that's loss of control. No, you chose to do that. Yeah. You know, albeit under duress, but you yep. didn't lose control. You did not suddenly observe yourself from third person right. making those choices. You know, and you, you were chose aware to do of that. that. Yeah. You're, and you're aware. Awareness. At some point, mm. awareness kicks in, right? So, mm. Yeah. I'm doing that now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, absolutely. Uh, that's different. That's not losing control. That's again confirmation bias with the anxious, the anxious anxiety is going to see. There's evidence, but actually, if you picked it apart, no, you kind of chose to do that. You know, it's okay. Yeah. Um, also, it's it's good to know actually address like fear of losing control can be an OCD theme in itself, mm -hmm. and so these are people, and you need to we need to bring attention to the compulsions and safety behaviors because this is super important. Um, should we have a, like a little spitball to and fro? What what are the main behaviors that people with fear of losing control may do and i'll start off number yeah, one yeah threat monitor they will scan themselves oh constantly i'm going to say removal of external threats like the knives or the scissors that was me yeah yeah observing mood fluctuations just in case they get too happy or too sad yeah i'll add to that if your fear is of self-harm you are looking for low mood if i am sad uh-oh because that self-harm might, I might get so low that, oh, I do that thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, constantly checking how you feel. Yeah. Um, predicting or, or trying to pre-visualize or pre-control the environment you're about to go in. Mm. I better Google the restaurant, look for pictures to see how close to the door I'm going to be in case I lose control. Avoiding stimulants like caffeine. Oh, that's a really good one. Yeah. Obsessing about sleep. Is a, is a lose control issue too. If I don't sleep enough, I'm more likely to snap and lose control. Yeah, I'm so delirious now because I've not slept. Go yep. back, check out our sleep episode, by the way, if, if, if that um, uh, yeah, resonates with you. Uh, other ones, uh, yeah, reassurance seeking through Google. Oh yeah, or just refusing to do things that they feel are too dangerous, high stakes, like driving or being alone with your children. Absolutely, there's yeah. so many. Um, Comparing constantly mood, so the people may compulsively have mood trackers. So they're like, again, if you've got disordered anxiety, often these things can be counterproductive, a bit like heart rate monitors and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. For you know, for the layman, boring normies, that's great for them, but for us, that it can be compulsive behavior. So yeah, oh, well, yeah, I noticed that yesterday I felt like a five on my mood scale, but today I'm a three. Is this the sign of my imminent decline? Yeah, Am I'm I losing control, control? slowly. Yes, like absolutely not. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> so many variables. So I would put thought tracking in there too. Mood tracking, sure, it's almost the same thing. But thought tracking, especially in the 
sort of the old days of CBT when you were encouraged to keep a thought record. Like, oh no, mm. I had I had that thought like 15 times today. And yesterday mm. I only had it 13 times. Uh-oh. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So thought tracking is the same thing. I'm going to count my thoughts. Avoiding vices, even though non-anxious us would enjoy them. So for example, you know, I, I hear people like, you know, I, I've cut out wine and, and, and other recreational things. Um, like I used to enjoy, I don't know, uh, smoking cannabis and things like that, which is fine. We're not going to debate yeah. whether that's good for you or not. You're a human, you're an adult, you can yep. choose your own vices, Yep. but it's the avoidance of those just in case, oh, I've had this thought and it feels scary. So I'm now going to cut out having a glass of wine, even though non-anxious me enjoyed that. Yeah. Now I'm stopping because that may make me lose control or I'm going to stop doing this other thing because it may make me lose control. I'm actually kind of like against that, you know, I'm not against like, you know, if, if someone's like, you know, I, I want to stop these things because I don't like them or whatever, or yeah. I'm stopping them because they actually help me to feel more relaxed. Then I'm like, no, challenge that. Maybe no, don't drink, don't smoke. But if on the flip side, if your theme and obsession is, oh, I stopped drinking wine, I stopped drinking this, or I start taking this stimulant or having caffeine because that might make me lose control. That's also avoidance. So that's when you can set some fun homework. <laughs> it's like yeah, my yeah. therapist told me to go and have a glass of wine because I'm challenging this internal fear that I may lose control. And this makes me lose my inhibition. So it's actually an exposure in itself. Yeah. And it's so interesting how they can get interpreted too, because like if I drink a glass of wine, then my inhibition level goes down. My ability to be inhibited, I become more disinhibited. Some people mm. drink wine because they want to be more social. I mean, that happens, right? Yeah. Uh, other people use alcohol and things like that to sort of self-medicate. When I'm super anxious, I have two glasses of wine and I calm down. Yeah, that's what but you challenge. Calm down, actually, in the, in the sense of I might lose control, is a benefit. You will be in a less anxious state, which mm. makes you less likely or at least not as fixated on losing control. Flip it the other way, avoiding, avoiding temptation things. If I fear oh, yeah. that I will lose control, I won't want to be in any situation where I might be tempted to do that thing that I don't want to do, regardless of what it is. It yeah. might be, uh, you know, a sexual thing. It might be a harm thing. It might be a financial thing. I can't, I might lose control. So I won't go into those environments that would be dangerous or tempting yeah. to me. Yeah. But not feeling like I am fully in control. Yep. Yep. I can't. I, either. Yeah. Which is yeah. interesting. But it, like, even then, if you must see that as a safety behavior, because what you're saying is if I, I'm completely neutral and con constantly and continuously threat monitoring, scanning, checking myself, compulsively seeing that and checking if I am still in control. Mm -hmm. That's counterproductive. You have to trust and willfully tolerate that. Actually, you know, I'm going to be all right. You know, um, I'm I'm just going to trust that I'm not going to do these things. Yeah. Um, oh, there's another one I was going to add to it: avoiding thing like tv this is a common one tv shows and movies where the characters um are in air quotes crazy you know oh like like serial killers and stuff like that oh no i can't see anything like that because i might feed on that and it might make me lose control Who is, um, I'm looking right now, anxiously balanced. Do you know Krista Reed on on Instagram? She's anxious. Here's a shout out to Krista Reed. Hey, Krista. Uh, she's anxiously balanced on Instagram. 
she's an OCD specialist practicing in the Midwest somewhere in the US. She does these really cool posts. I don't know how often she does them where she'll do like, hey, if you have harm OCD, here's a bunch of movies for you to watch. She <laughs> sounds great. If you have relationship OCD, here's movies about affairs and infidelity. And like she does these whole, they're really smart. And uh, you're right, but people will avoid those things. I can't, oh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I can't read that book or watch. That's about people in an, in an insane asylum. Oh yeah, and that's, we get uh, uh, the amount of times we've got people to go watch Shutter Island. They're like, no, yeah. no, I can't. I'm like, oh yeah, go watch Shutter Island. Yeah, or go yeah. watch something. Uh, what's the bad Ewan McGregor one? Uh, no, James McAvoy one. Sorry, uh, was it Split? You know, I got thirty-seven thousand personalities, and they're all evil. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, like no, actually not. Like you know, you can look at these. Um, by the way, disclaimer: if you do have a um, condition or disposition when oh, you yeah. have multiple personalities, that's fine. That's different. That's not what I'm talking. That's different right. to the fear of losing control. Right. Uh, Memento is another one of those movies where the person yeah. I can't remember. He lives. It, it, it tries to remember. He only has like five minutes with a short-term memory. Mm. That's another one that's triggering for people who fear that they will lose their memory or their mental capacity. Like, then they wind up constantly trying to check. Do I remember my kids' names? How about now? How about now? How about now? Because they they're going to lose control of their ability to remember or think. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. That's a big yeah. one. Yeah. A so the, cons the compulsively testing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. Is my brain working now or if I lost control of it? Yeah. And they often forget like actually today's been a super stressful day and you've not slept and you've probably not eaten properly yep. and you're not hydrated and oh no, I can't recall these things. Yeah. Of course you can't. Some days I can't remember my own name. Doesn't mean it's the first fear of losing control. <laughs> I used to have um, being in a really technical field like I was when I was struggling. I was I mean, this was not a good thing. If you're in a technical field, don't do what I did. I would work like outside of a lab environment. There was no test environment. Everything was, you guys are in techno, everything was a production environment for Drew. So I would configure networks on the flight. That's not okay. You're not supposed to do that. But I was really good at it. And I wouldn't make mistakes. When I was struggling in the worst, I couldn't remember commands. I, I lost mm. all, I couldn't remember any of the commands for a Cisco router. Like I couldn't remember any of those. Couldn't remember my passwords. Couldn't remember IP addresses. And like, I had a crazy long list of IP addresses in my head that I remembered just because I did. What? And that all went, yeah, I'm ridiculous. I mean, that's the first sign of insanity. That was a Remembering IP there. addresses. I know, I mean, I probably knew hundreds of IP addresses and router names and I knew all the commands and I knew all my passwords. Password manager, who needs that? What a nerd. Well, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> when, I, when I couldn't remember those things because I was under a very high cognitive load, mm. I would interpret that as I'm losing my mind a little bit. I'm losing mm. my ability. I'm losing control. I can't do the things that I used to do. That was, yeah. that was terrifying to me. So I think in a nutshell, like when you're anxious and in the, an anxious cycle, you're not going to feel like yourself. It doesn't mean anything about losing control. You're not going to lose control. If anything, the need for more of the illusion of control is often the problem. Mm. It's okay. You're Often we say that when you leave anxiety and anxious thoughts alone and allow your Disordered anxious thoughts and disordered anxiety. When you leave it alone, surrender to it, willfully tolerate the symptoms and the uncertainty and focus on doing what non-anxious you would do. You're trusting in the brain and body to bring you back to a state of homeostasis. But when you're getting involved and, and, and messing about with it and trying to you know, yep. tinker and configure with it and, and trying to find the miracle thought, the miracle solution, the shortcut and the way out of it, you keep that hamster wheel going. One of the scary anxious thoughts is what if i lose control 
And guess what? The anxious response has won because it needs, it wants your attention mm -hmm. and it will find something. And we've spoken a lot in this episode about making meaning. Well, that's a scary one to, to get your attention and suddenly make meaning from it. But you're not. If you're listening to this now, you may have had loads of panic attacks or intense bouts of anxiety, and yet you're still sat here, compass mm -hmm. mentors, listening to us goofballs talk about it. Just because you, you probably may have another anxiety attack in the future or bout of anxiety, and guess what? It may sound convincing, but odds on, you know, it's that's not going to be the one, yeah. uh, and nor is the next 100 or 200 or whatever, or hopefully none, <laughs> you know, but there we are. It's funny. This theme leads us to another episode that we'll do, maybe the next one, for for our GAD friends and our excessive ruminators and overthinkers and warriors in the room. We're talking today about like losing control in the moment, but there's that whole safety theme or control and comfort theme of if I think and ruminate and worry, I'm controlling. That's long term. Like that's a long term habit that drives that constant anxious state of. But I, but I think to control. I have to plan. I have to simulate. I have to go over and go over and go over. I think I might find an answer or control in that. So we'll talk about mm. that too one day. That's a longer term. That's a different kind of control, but it's similar. I think we have a did it anyway that embraces today's um, topic, which is um, I think it's a driving anxiety one. Should we uh, should we play it, DJ? Yeah, let's do it. Sure, DJ Drew. Let's let's play it. Hi, Drew and Josh. This is Juliana. You can say my name. I've had anxiety most of my life. Only recently in the past year or two have I really committed to doing exposures and just creating an atmosphere of acceptance. And your podcast has been really instrumental in that. So thank you so much. Um, yesterday I had to go for a long drive and that has been historically triggering for me. When I'm alone behind the wheel, I start thinking about being alone and not being able to access help, blah, blah, blah. So yesterday when I started feeling anxious, I thought I should listen to Disordered's podcast episode about driving anxiety to calm myself down. But instead I was like, no, that's a band-aid. I'm going to do what I love to do in the car, which is to play music and sing. So I did that instead. I made it to my destination and it was great. On the way back, I felt fine. I think because of realizing how okay I was. So thank you so much for everything you do. Huge round of applause for that one. That's incredible. Um, and ultimately what I learned from that is that by not listening to us, you get better. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. I can get behind that all day long. That's true. Uh, no, well, that's brilliant. No, I can do this. I want the credit for this. So you obviously yeah. listen to the getting the credit episode. I want this, um, yeah, okay, I could listen to them, but it's a Band-Aid. No, I've got this. I want 100% of the credit for this, and you did. You nailed it, which is excellent. And it also leads on to today's question that, that um, was sent in. Uh, Drew, let, me Drew, can I the, let me do the other did it anyway that we wanted to read out before we do the question because it's along the same lines, same theme. Oh, okay, cool. Let's do it. So this one is, um, I'm going to read this one without any music, so it's going to be dry. Sorry, guys. This is from Amar or Amar. I'm sorry, Amar. I, I don't, I butchered your name. And you asked us to use your name so you could be famous and I completely ruined your fame. But anyway, this is a good one from Amar or Amar. I used to rate my progress based on stuff I can do now, things I am doing in the distance from home. That has caused me plenty of unneeded setbacks because I did not see that our comfort zone during recovery is actually fluid. 
that we should never focus on the things that we are not able to do. The goal during recovery should always be to experience panic, anxiety, and fear, no matter where we are, and to practice with it. If we look at it that way, then there's no such thing as a setback. In the past, when I would have a setback, I used to just surrender and stop trying for months. Now I just see it as part of the process. So losing my progress does not bother me much. I will regain it all again. I just need more practice. Oh, yeah, that's, that's banging. That's what awesome, a, right? What a nice, compassionate um, way to see progress as well. And I have no doubt, Amar, that you will get to a good place with that mindset. Yeah, maybe even such a good place that you'll be actually famous instead of just on an episode of Disorder for 27 <laughs> seconds. Good job, man. Uh, I've got a little did it anyway to read out as well. Yeah. Um, I have driving and health anxiety amongst others. And today I had to drive to a medical appointment to a location I hadn't driven to before. So I was anxious about driving and the outcome of the appointment. The outcome of the appointment was good. And he tried to even enjoy the journey back because I'd had some good news. I felt really good about myself. Love that one. Yeah. More applause. Everybody gets a round of applause in the studio audience. Absolutely. And the question um, that I had ties into kind of the first and second uh, clips that we heard. Um, I, 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 you've not said we can uh, say your name out, but I'll read it. Uh, I really enjoy listening to the wisdom of the two of you, and I f do feel that I get a lot from your podcasts. And it feels like listening to your podcast can be part of my obsessive need to get better. Listening to your episode, I'm Obsessed with My Anxiety and Anxiety Recovery, episode 19, I feel like this is me and has been now for a few years. Isn't listening to your podcast just feeding my obsession and looking for reassurance? And I feel like I can't stop. Any thoughts or advice would be greatly appreciated. That's a good question. Isn't it? You, wouldn't hear, you wouldn't hear that on another anxiety podcast, would you? No, you wouldn't hear that on almost any podcast. The question about not listening to the podcast. We're the worst mm. podcasters ever because my feeling for that, and I've said this for many years, the best day for somebody like me, and I think I would, I'll include my friend Josh in this, is the day that you stop listening to us because you don't have to. Like we make a podcast like this so that you don't have to listen to a podcast like this, if that makes any sense. But I think the question, you know, how do I stop doing that? First of all, kudos on the awareness that I'm doing that. I'm doing that thing where I'm obsessively listening to podcasts to try to obsessively get better. Just knowing that you're doing it is huge. A lot of people don't recognize that at all. They just think it's what they're supposed to do. They know this is what you do. And it yeah. kind of plays into like Juliana's voice message. Like I, I immediately wanted to listen to your driving anxiety episode to calm myself down, but I didn't. Mm. So how does this person stop doing that? You look at your relationship with the podcast. Um, I think so for some people, their relationship is, oh, there's a community that I can tap into and listen into wins and have psychoeducation. And with each new episode, we will try to bring something a bit different to the table, a bit new. But if you found that, you know, you're doing this, not just for this podcast, but the, the but obsessive, obsessing about recovery in other ways, you've got thousands of books and mm -hmm. you, you don't want to miss a single thing. Um, a lot of people can obsess about well what if i've missed that little bit of nugget of information that could have been the thing that gets me better uh that's a very sneaky kind of sinister avoidance behavior really because it's like actually i need to find everything first before i start doing the tricky stuff mm. uh my advice is, yeah take a break see how you feel um you don't need to need, need to we all believe that you know you are the 
you are the coping mechanism. You can do this. And kudos to you for acknowledging that. I've been in that situation. I had the you know, honestly, hundreds of books. Oh yeah hundreds of articles all that trying to do everything and yeah it, it, it just depends juliana's relationship with it is great so actually i'll listen to him when i'm you know when i'm i presume when i'm at home and doing stuff and whatnot but when it comes down to it when it's game time actually no i don't need to listen to you now i'm going to do this but then again then you had a nice community to come and share it with so yeah to answer your question, it depends on your relationship with it. And if you feel like it's feeding the obsessive loop, then absolutely, you know, take a step back for a bit. But we're here waiting. We ain't going anywhere. I like how you said, take a break and see how you feel. I'll tell you how you're going to feel. You're going to feel more anxious. Like, I think it's pretty reasonable to say, well, when that moment comes when you feel like you have to reach for the podcast and you decide, oh, I'm not going to do that this time, you'll probably feel more. You're confronting that feeling on your own without trying to soothe it or get instructions on what to do with it from us or whoever you're listening to. So like expect that it might be difficult. It might trigger you a bit to not listen. Because sometimes mm -hmm. people also get caught up in the idea that listening to podcasts or reading books is recovery. It's not. It informs your recovery. But listening mm -hmm. to us is not actually recovering. It's part yeah. of it. It helps yeah. you recover. So also, also, anyone else listening, don't feel bad if you're tuning in. You oh know, yeah, it's, no, just, no, it's, it's, just, it's just it's so it's absolutely fine. Yeah. We're here to inform you and provide different things, but there are probably a very small section of people that are like, yeah, maybe I've just noticed that listening is part of this obsession with the recovery that I'm having. Yeah, For, it depends on your relationship too. If you just find comfort and enjoyment listening to us too, yeah. great, carry on. Uh, don't feel bad. Don't feel like, oh, I'm still listening to Drew and Josh, so that means I'm not recovering. No. Yeah. Uh, I know people that have re fully recovered and they still tune in because they just find it interesting and want to hear the stories and listen to the guests and stuff like that. It's fine. Just for that very small section of people mm -hmm. that are like, I've noticed that I'm, I'm using this compulsively. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, just be aware of that. Or try listening when you're not anxious. That's a good strategy. That rule of thumb. Listen when you're not mm -hmm. anxious. That's great. Yeah. If you enjoy it or you get something out of it, it's awesome. I also appreciate that he, he actually called this wisdom. Which means that we've Dude, yeah, go a wow. lot of people's eyes. Like, wow, is, this is wisdom. Cool. Okay, I'll take it. I don't feel very wise today at all. But uh, anyway, thanks for the question. I guess we're good. Are we good? Episode thirty-five. Yeah. Thank you, uh, as always, Drew. Yeah, always fun. If you guys have questions or comments, or you want to be a did it anyway, or send us questions, go over to disorder.fm because that's where you can send us a, an email or a voicemail. The voicemails are fun to listen to. We listen to all of them. We read all of them. We just can't answer them all, unfortunately. But uh, they inform new episodes and just like hearing from people. It's great. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.